Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie. and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily, our daily program, which is a direct offshoot of the new Abolitionist Radio program here on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Johan and Elia, your host. We got Scotty Reed producing the program for me as he's a... Uh, been good enough to me to do to help us get this program going and get up on his feet. So this is the end of, uh, I think this is week three, Friday, March 6th, 2015. Today, we're going to uh, talk about several pressing issues having to do with modern day slavery, which the general public regards as mass incarceration. But we discuss everything having to do with incarceration, everything that happens after a person is convicted of any crime in America, jailed, convicted, hell, accused of anything. We relate that to slavery here because we know that the 13th Amendment says that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. And we've documented several stories. And if you're alive and awake in America, you know, there's plenty of these stories where people aren't even being convicted. They're just getting judge, jury and execution right there in the street. So we escalated right on from the police extrajudicial murders that are going on in America of all races of people, all ages, handicap, immigrants, black, white, children, old people. We relate that to the lynchings when it comes to people of color as a form of terrorism. But it's also similar to the lynchings when whites were lynched back in the day because that was carrying out justice. So even though it didn't terrorize the white community by and large, they felt like justice was being done when they would go and watch one of their own be hanged by the neck until dead in the public square. So even though they had different motivations to a degree, they still are happening to this day. So that's, uh, we relate that to the old slavery, old terrorism, early, uh, early days of so-called black freedom. But because of that 13th Amendment exception, we know that the prison populations have exploded in this country over the last 25, 30 years. And I still know most of the people that I met when I was born. I still know most of the families and people in my neighborhood and in the city I live in and people I've met over the years and people I've worked with and just on and on and on. And overall, I don't see where people are five times more criminal now. 10 times more criminal now than they were in the 80s. If we had 200,000 people in the nation's prisons in 1985, 
and we now have 2.3 million people in the nation's prisons in 2015 and growing. I don't think we have to make much of a case for you to see, believe, and understand that everybody you know didn't just suddenly go rogue. The cities didn't just suddenly turn to criminal chaos. And when we see the police forces go from, you know, the standard cruiser with the, with the cherry on the roof and maybe two guys riding shotgun in the, in the car or something like that. I mean, just basic equipment that they handled patrolling with or whatever to seeing mostly unmarked vehicles, the wide and extensive use of, of high tech tracking and watching and surveilling and running everybody's information. And of course the militarization and the quickness to escalate even with the protest. And we saw, you know, in Ferguson with the snipers and the, the MRAPs and, the, you know, extensive use of tear gas in Chicago a few years ago when they brought out the, the high tech weapons, I believe they had like the sound, the, the sound wave weapons and, you know, just using these different things. These, the, the policing, and we know that Congress has created over 4,000 new laws in just the last, less than the last five, uh, five to 10 years. So when we look at policing increasing and, and further militarized, we see the police state rise up. We see the, as Radley Balco refers to it, the warrior cop. We see no-knock warrants proliferating, and we see SWAT teams in every imaginable form of, of law enforcement and even, in, I mean, just government agency to everybody. NASA has a SWAT team. When we see the, the, the way that this has just spread out and taken over our reality of hyper-policing, and we know that the root of the police force was the slave catchers. 1600s in Boston, wealthy white landowners paying, poor, out of work, unskilled. Because if they had other skills, they wouldn't be running around in the woods chasing slaves. So I, I'm going to go with that. I don't think it's a stretch. Unskilled. White people to go out and catch runaway slaves. And it just continued to escalate from that. It became a, from a night watch, what it started as the night watch, uh, it turned into a day, a second shift, a day watch also. City to cities, uh, cities like Philadelphia developing a patrol, a regular patrol of the city streets. And it just kept growing and growing to become precincts and patrol units and modern day policing. And that 13th Amendment still being in place though from 1865 on saying that slavery was over, but if you could convict someone, then, well, here you go. You're going to be a slave. So that's what we talk about on this program. And today we're going to go into a story about what's going on with Corrections uh, Corrections Corporation out of uh, Colorado that actually sells all sorts of goods that people don't even know or would never know or realize 
come from this company and it's 4,000 inmates on a gigantic plantation. So much space is dedicated to the tilapia farms, the Buffalo ranch, the work colony areas that you can hardly even see the prison that's even on the grounds. So we'll talk about them and their philosophy of trying to take prisoners and turn them into taxpayers instead of being tax burdens. That's their philosophy. And we'll just talk about the, the, how much they pay these people for this labor and how much money they generate off of slave labor, all made possible by the 13th Amendment. We'll talk about how the House of Representatives went ahead and approved funding earlier this week for Department of Homeland Security. And in the news, when that was reported about uh, DHS, you know, needing funding and, and uh, the, the little bit of a political game that was being played there for a few days about that, I didn't really hear much mentioned about the implications for uh, immigration's customs enforcement, even though that was a, really a play aimed at crippling President Obama, uh, President Obama's executive action to, uh, to let, you know, nearly five million undocumented, uh, immigrants get a reprieve. He set out that executive order and this was one of the first times that, uh, Congress had an opportunity to, uh, to strike down what he said he wanted, you know, to come to pass. And that's kind of what we were seeing in addition to some other concerns, I'm sure, as well, but from an abolitionist standpoint, and especially we've been talking about uh, this week, the uh, detention centers around the country and that being a whole new profit stream. And we discussed with you on this program how lobbyists from the GEO Group and CCA and even MTC have worked with Congress to create a situation where they even created a border crisis and got the media hype to justify the $3.7 billion allotted to fix this. I mean, it's for, for all intents and purposes, a false flag. The same theory behind pulling a false flag operation to get people hyped up and then do what you actually wanted to do all along once you've gotten them to see there's a problem. Then you offer them your solution. And in America, with most things, the solution is slavery. So we're going to talk about that, uh, how they funded, went ahead and funded DHS and what those implications are um, now. And it ties into, it's all a story that ties into the uh, immigration situation and how contracts are coming up for renewal here real soon march 9th is a uh is a bid that's going to be brought up for before um state of mississippi for is one example and this is a state where we know california has sent its overpopulated prisons has sent thousands of of inmates to avoid truly complying with the uh, supreme court's ruling five years ago that they have to reduce their overcrowding Mississippi is overcrowded too. They're in the top five on the list of over, most overcrowded in the country, but 
through these private prisons, the federal ranks are able to be taken down in numbers where, like Eric Holder can come out and quote that we're 30, the first time in 32 years, we've seen a decrease in population. We're also going to talk about this March 9th bid that's coming up in, uh, in LaFleur County, Mississippi. Because after the fallout in Wallace, which is an MTC operation, and after we see what's going on with St. Clair, Free Alabama, Free Mississippi is closely connected to Free Alabama movement. After we've seen what went on at the Northwest uh, Detention Center, which is a CCA or a GEO group, rather, all these private prison operators, these top three, are all around the country involved in this immigration fight. And new contracts are coming up. So we're going to talk about who's in a good position. Is uh, MTC automatically out because of what happened in Wallace County? How they're still spinning that story that it was about them, you know, conspiring to control where they got deported or if they got deported at all, they want to stay in the prison and stay in this country versus going back, going back to their home country. All of this is kind of up in the air. So we're going to, uh, to discuss these contracts and the implications, the money, um, what's going on with, you know, maybe where you live, where these, where these are at, maybe some of these are located and uh, try to give you a heads up, try to keep you informed. And that's what we need is to be informed so we can figure out what our next move is going to be. And while we're talking about this, Guess what? There's another potential plantation uprising going on in Reeves County. It's a geo group facility, Reeves County Detention Center. They're currently on a hunger strike. Now, theirs is reportedly being inspired by being cut off from, uh, talking to their with their legal counsel. The report is from their news, uh, from the news down there, Reeves County, Texas. The report is that there's 2,400 inmates and four computers, 2,300 inmates and four computers in the entire facility, which they have to share. And it's making it basically impossible for people to, to contact their legal representation. They're upset about the medical care there, like we've heard. Everywhere else, they said they're uh, down to a diet of, of eating only rice and beans. That's it. That's all they're getting. So I guess they're saying they're lucky they don't get maggots in it or it's not totally molded and, and sour like we've heard in most other prison situations. But these folks are upset because they're uh, just seeking legal counsel, and they've been getting threatened, and many of them have been put in uh, solitary confinement by the guards as a response to their demanding, you know, access to their, to their legal representation. And it's, it's starting to fall apart down there. So we, we have early indicators, especially with what all has gone on, you know, around the country in the, in the last few years, especially, uh, related to poor care, uh, poor medical care, poor treatment and inmate populations realizing, coming to the realization that their labor is actually slave labor. So these are all factors that we are looking at uh, out of Reeves County, Texas. And maybe we will be foreseeing, you know, what what by next week, you know, it could escalate. So we'll talk about what's going on down there. And to wrap it up, we'll look uh, look again at 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as we've discussed on this program and even had a, a brother Rob call in from Wisconsin, one of the dedicated listeners that went ahead with what we were reporting as far as it being the most incarcerated city per capita in America for black males. And that contributing to, of course, high unemployment for black males, disenfranchisement for black males, breaking up black families, homes, and, you know, men and women not being able to sustain families due to all of this kidnapping and enslavement. Well, NPR came out with a report titled, Why is Milwaukee so bad for black people? And they go into depth discussing the education situation, which we covered in the school to pipeline, uh, school to prison pipeline program last week. They parrot many of the points that were made here. They talk about racial segregation. And of course, they're talking about incarceration and the effect that it's having on the people in Milwaukee. So we'll look at that to wrap up the program. We have our unexplainable black death profile today is young brother Ramarley Graham. We'll talk about his case and being chased into his grandmother's house and shot down by the police and really didn't even do anything wrong. So I think that qualifies as being unexplainable. And um then we'll wrap up the program for this week. It's it's been an interesting week. It's this is a has been an interesting venture for me personally, and I appreciate those that have followed along and have supported the program since it started. Still new, still just a baby, you know, barely barely holding our head up, you know, uh like the little stages of development. But I think that we're definitely trying to our best to offer a different voice, a different perspective. Um, more in-depth discussion on what's going on and what these are all things that I definitely feel are, are adversely affecting, you know, our quality of life here. So that's why I bring these things up is because it's, it's something uh, like I've said before, this is uh, my future as well. And my children their future and my grandchildren unborn, you know, I'd like to have something on the mantle for them. I might not be able to get them a Super Bowl trophy and come and see grandpa, you know, used to, used to play sports or grandpa used to be a hell of a hunter and, you know, all the heads I got mounted on the wall or I may not have millions and millions of dollars for them to tap into their trust funds or whatever. But if I can just give them actual abolition of slavery, that would make me a very proud man. That would make me very, very happy. And I'd be able to die in peace and know that my family wasn't in danger of modern day slavery and mass incarceration and hyper policing and over criminalization and criminalization of their culture and of their, of their melanin and of the way they talk and the way they act and the way they dress, all of that being seen as being criminal. So that's why I do what I do. And I know you have your reasons why you come here yourself. Probably some of them are very closely uh, related to why I'm doing this. You probably feel the same way. So thank you for your support thus far. And um, definitely stick with us because it's just going to get better as as I become better as a researcher and a, as an investigator myself. Um, as we become better as a network and continue to perfect our craft, 
uh, being able to deliver you this information. And as you continue to work with us and help us keep this going, as I've mentioned uh, several times uh, since we started this, we are in the middle of the uh, Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser. So I might as well get it on out the way now before we get too deep into the news. Um, this is community-supported uh, radio that you're listening to. So whether you're tuned in live or if you're on the podcast at some later date, just understand we don't have multi-million dollar sponsors out there. We don't have big corporate sponsors. We don't have people that are just throwing money at us so we'll say what they want us to say and so we'll skirt around un, uh, inconvenient issues and so we'll be politically correct and be sure to tote the party line and all that other stuff that everybody else is getting paid is doing. Whether you can accept it or not or believe it or not or think I don't know what I'm talking about, when you're taking those checks from corporate America and taking even those government funds and grants and all of that, there's going to be a line that you're not going to be able to cross. And that line is going to be the truth. That line is going to represent what is righteous and what people are willing to do to get their agendas by. And if you want the truth and you believe that it's necessary for us to always tell you the truth and speak up for righteousness and speak up for a better day, be an advocate for a healthy community, a sustainable society, build an actual black community. If you believe in those things, then most definitely visit us at blacktalkradionetwork.com. It's a simple to click on little, little link there where you can donate. It says donate or visit blacktalkmediaproject.org. Same thing, simple little button to click. A dollar a month. You won't even miss a dollar a month, but you'll miss this program you'll miss this network if we can't make it without your support so let's uh let's make sure that doesn't happen pledge yourself a dollar a month is simply twelve dollars a year we have thousands and thousands of people tune into this station every month i mean tens of thousands of people come through here and people listen to the entire program this is a two-hour program new abolitionist radio is a two-hour program plus many of the programs on this network are two hours or so and we get the reports. People listen to the entire live broadcast. People listen to the entire podcast. That's above and beyond what the average numbers are for, you know, standard popular stations or what have you. People tune in here and there, switch stations, come back, go back. They don't stay hooked in. So this is obviously information that people want. And we are hosts and, and produce shows that people can have, can listen to the entire broadcast of it. So. Please support blacktalkradionetwork.com and blacktalkmediaproject.org. Click on donate and, and commit some of those funds so we can keep this thing going. So in the news, uh, like I said, um, the House of Representatives recently approved funding for the Department of Homeland Security until next fiscal year. So, they were hold, the Republicans were holding up the funds for DHS in an attempt to overturn President Obama's executive action, which was to give up to 5 million undocumented immigrants a reprieve from deportation. But a federal judge blocked the president's order. But his administration has vowed to appeal that decision. So in the meantime... All these private prison providers are fighting for that spot. 
They want those contracts because those things aren't going away. While we see politics played out in the media, there is a 34 person per day mandate, a congressional mandate. There is a law in place. So those 34,000 people a day are getting spread out all around the country in these various facilities, and they're all private facilities. And these people all want to get paid. So they're all vying for those top spots. So that's why this is going to be on the program today, because we're going to go into a little bit of depth about that. Why there's there's these the main two that are dominating it, GO and, and CCA, but we'll also include MTC. And uh, one of these is coming from uh, marketplace.org, uh, a website. And this is a way you have to look into just for your own investigation and for your own getting deeper into uh, studying about these things. A lot of times with the private prisons, you, you really do yourself well to get into um, the industry-specific news networks marketplace.org is a is an is a uh, a wall street based website um seeking alpha is is a good one that i use all the time obviously wall street journal you know these investment oriented publications are going to tell you all the stuff you're never going to hear on cnn or fox news about these corporations and this is a case where they go into depth in this report because they're ultimately representing the shareholders. So they're giving you a full picture so you can understand what's going on. And that's what I hope to do for you as well. It says no matter what happens with Obama's executive decision, uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, or ICE, will still detain up to 34,000 immigrants every day. ICE partners with private prison companies to house undocumented immigrants in prison-like facilities around the country. One such facility is the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma, Washington, which is run by a corporation called the GEO Group. Detainees there complain of low wages, abuse from guards, maggots in their food. They've had hunger strikes there. New Abolitionist Radio reported on the hunger strikes when they broke out last year. And as I told you, one of the leaders of the hunger strike movement up there was recently deported, crippling the leadership of the uprising. That's what that was, a targeted move to to get someone that was able to rally up, rally the folks around, you know, these issues and, and get people to commit to the hunger strike. They just deported them so they can try to cripple this because again, this is all coming up there. They still have to fight for these contracts as they have to be renewed. And as this legislation is ever evolving and changing, they still have to put out, you know, they have to show that they have viable facilities in place or they can get them built quickly, which is what happened in uh, Wallace County when they switched over their original agreement from, uh, the GO group and ICE had the contract. And then Bureau of Prisons took over the contract and had to find another provider. That's how Wallace County got built in 90 days. So when we're talking about what's going on up here at the Northwest Detention Facility, it's not promised that they're going to be continuing in that contract. Of course, they've got others that are 10-year contracts and 
20 year contracts and whatnot, but these immigration contracts are a little bit shorter and it's the, it's a moving situation. So when you hear about these allegations of the, the substandard healthcare and the food is terrible and we've talked about in other cases where GO and CCA, they put out these statements that we follow the law. We're following our contract. ICE backs them up and says the same thing. And these people just keep on complaining. And the same thing's going on in this example at Northwest Detention Center. ICE doesn't even acknowledge these allegations. So these people are just hunger striking for no reason. They've had an upturn in suicides up there. We talked about uh, last year on New Abolitionist Radio, we talked about when they uh, were going in and finding people literally hanging from the rails, like hanging from the second story rails, committing suicide. People were in there going to war. They were trying to war with the guards. It was severely understaffed because it's a private prison. It's a geo uh, group facility. So that's how they cut corners is put less people in there to keep everybody safe. And like we saw in the Idaho facility where they just flat out lied about the hours they were covering, or that was CCA, where they were just outright lying about the hours that people were working, staff or what have you. They they weren't there that often. They were putting people down as working 12-hour shifts and falsifying information and all that, and they got off of that with a fine, and they still have their contract intact, and they're still taking in slaves every day. This line is now on hold. This line is now off hold. So ICE goes through all this because they don't really see alternatives, I suppose, because, of course, it's only the GEO group or MTC. And GEO and CCA controls about three-quarters of the entire industry. And because they're publicly traded, the assumption is that they offer more transparency than other corporations or other operations. So this is why the government keeps going back with these people because they feel like they do have transparency. They feel like they do have market responsibility. They do have a responsibility to shareholders. And that's what our responsibility is as abolitionists to shame them. To shame the slave labor aspect of this thing. We've got to put that information out and continue to shame these people. Like, um, our friend in the abolitionist movement, Jamie Trinkle from Inlace. We had her on the new abolitionist program last year talking to us about the prison divestment campaign. And Inlace has numbers as high as $45 million that has been used in lobbying of the federal government alone. So this is why they believe that, you know, Geo's probably going to keep the contract. And the conditions are just going to stay the same way as they were. And one of these inmates, detainees, immigrant asylum seeker, 55-year-old Cipriano Rio says, we're a captive population, hidden from the public. Now we realize that the company's motive is profit, and we realize that they're going to spend as little as possible. Even if GEO leaves, when the next company comes, it's just going to be the same. See, this is a man, like I told you, when Latino community, wake up and pay attention. 
Cipriano Rios is a 55-year-old man. He's in the system now. Now he realizes what's, okay, that's why they're telling us to come here. Okay, now it makes sense. He realizes it now that he's in prison. And Management and Training Corporation, even though they're number three, they're doing the same thing with Lassie County. CCA doing the same thing. We've got a, uh, we've got to take a break. This is the Abolitionist Daily. When we come back, we'll talk about, uh, MTC, the third wheel in this, and after Wallace County, what's going to happen in the contracts there. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. tuned in to the black talk radio network for podcasts and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com and we are back this is the abolitionist daily this is johan and elia we were talking before the break there uh about what's going to happen now after Wallace County riot is, is kicked off and that prison is now uninhabitable and they've had to move 2000 slaves to other plantations and make other arrangements to hold these people and figure out where the money's going to go and what's going to happen to the contracts and all of these things have to get shaken out. So, uh, so that's where in this private prison in these contract uh, conversations, that's where MTC comes into play. Cause like we said, California is already sending a substantial number of their inmates to Mississippi. And MTC is looking at, uh, acquiring contracts in Mississippi so they can continue to expand and get in on this immigration boom. And from the Marshall Project, actually a website named after Thurgood Marshall. Amazing that most of their reporting goes on about private prisons, and that's what they're focused on is is the prison industry and the slave labor aspect of it, the corruption and all of this. And their junior uh, is actually one of the board members on uh, the uh, Corrections Corporation of America board. So that's that's just more bizarre information into you know what's going on in this world. Um, their articles after Wallace. And it talks about this private prison company, the prison riot, and then what's going to happen next. It says the Federal Bureau of Prisons is dealing, still dealing with the aftermath of the riot late last month at Wallace County Correctional Center that left the Southeast Texan prison, Texas prison in reality a collection of Kevlar domes officially uninhabitable. Utah, Utah-based Management and Training Corporation, MTC, which runs the facility, has said the prisoners, who were mostly immigrants caught illegally trying to enter the U.S., planned a riot in hopes of getting transferred to another facility and perhaps delaying their, their deportation. So that's what we reported to you before is that's the MTC media spin version that they came out with. So that's how they're trying to, to keep everything together. They don't want to talk about the slavery. They don't want to talk about the work stoppage. They want to tell you some story that they've come up with that involves uh, secret witnesses and, you know, willing, willing snitches and whatnot to tell you, oh, well, from what I understand, these guys just didn't want to get deported. So they wanted to start a, start a fire and burn up your Kevlar domes and 
get sent somewhere else and their deportation goes on the back burner because you guys got to figure all this out and that's just more time they get to spend in America in prison. That really doesn't make much sense to me. I don't see the upside of, of ensuring that you're going to be in prison that much longer just to stop being deported. I mean, people get deported, they can turn around and try to come back in and try to get away with it again. So if you think you're about to get deported, you got here before, I would imagine that you're, if it were me anyway, and I was dealing with, with the situation they're dealing with, and you were looking at sending me back to El Salvador, and I didn't want to die in El Salvador this time any more than I did last time. So I'm just going to figure out how to, you know, take a bus, a train, or start walking or whatever until I can figure out how to get back to America again because I still want to come here. What I'm not going to do is start trying to figure out how to destroy the prison, increase the charges on me, increase the time I'm going to have to spend in prison just so I don't get sent back so I can come back again. Because these people are repeatedly coming across the border, so evidently you can, you know, save up till you can afford to try to make the run again. But what I'm not seeing a large number of is people that are coming here and going to prison and liking the prison situation and wanting to stay enslaved and wanting to stay incarcerated. So to me, that theory is a little bit, like I said, it's just their spin. I don't see how they really think anybody's going to believe that. But um, as we told you, the ACLU blame the conditions, overcrowding, overuse of solitary, overflowing toilets, Bugs coming in, biting people, eating people. These are tents, so it's not even secured from the outside. But here's the thing. Neither the private company or the Federal Prison Bureau have announced any substantial policy changes in response to the riot. So that's like what Mr. Rios just said about the Northwest Detention Facility. Nothing's going to change. He says, uh, it appears their relationship remains unshaken. So, so far, we're not even seeing MTC really even in any kind of trouble with the Bureau of Prisons behind this deal. But on March 9th, MTC is uh, due to bid for contracts to run a new immigrant facility in LaFleur County, Mississippi, as well as four existing immigration facilities throughout Texas. MTC will compete for these contracts with two bigger private prison operators, the Corrections Corporation of America and the GEO Group. And this is, again, information that's available in both of their transcripts from their from their earnings calls. They discussed that they're taking in this new, they're, they're uh, fighting for these new contracts and they're projecting to their shareholders how this is all about to be, you know, a financial boom for them. So it's about to be a throwdown in Texas for these four facilities. And apparently the, Fed, the feds could bar MTC from competing if they wanted to, if they wanted to sanction them for, for the way that they handled the quote-unquote riot. And so far, neither the Bureau of Prisons or MTC is really discussing this with the media or letting anybody know, you know what's going on with this. But this vote is coming up early next week. And it says the other party that's watching the March 9th bid is, is uh, closely is the Board of Supervisors of LaFleur County, Mississippi. Because late last month, the board approved 
MTC's proposal to fill 1,172 beds in a county facility with immigrant detainees who would be moved to the facility if the company wins the federal bid. So they've already got the county on, on the line. They've already done all the dancing and promising with the money that they're going to make. And these people have already put their names on the line and already given them the contract, basically. But then we saw the riot in Texas, and we saw, you know, how they handled that. In 2012, the county ended a contract with CCA when the company could not house the prisoners as cheaply as the state could. Prisoners were moved elsewhere in the state system, leaving the county to pay for the facility's upkeep, even as it has mostly sat empty. So they report that, you know, this is a familiar story, and it it is. This is happening all around the the country. These private uh, prisons come in, and it, it reminds me a lot of the church, the building fund. These capital campaigns, I've seen them in churches, especially the black church since the rise of the mega church, where you have these professional companies come in and tell you all about how you've got this loyal, you know, 2000 member base that's been with you so long, whatever. And they show you this money that you're actually taking in every year. You've got a two, $3 million you're bringing in every year. You need to be using that, you know, and get this credit going and get this going and go get this land and go build this big football stadium, super church. And then this is what you'll be bringing in is be a hundred million dollars a year. And, of course, they charge fees for that consultation. And, of course, the, the capital campaign begins. And, of course, all the uh, almost said inmates, <laughs> all of the, the uh, church members start giving extra and double and really stretching themselves. And, you know, we're going to do an extra $20 this week for the capital, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they stack up all this money. And then the land that they try to buy falls through. Well, the contractor, it turns out they can't agree on terms or, you know, whatever other kind of thing happens. And this goes on for two or three years. Meanwhile, this wealth that's being built up, where is it going? And it's a similar situation with these private prisons because they go into these towns and they have these meetings and they tell these people about this boom that they're going to get and, you know, the money that's going to be rolling in and the jobs that are going to come flowing in. And the sheriff and other elected officials, you know, that people can see and can touch and and know in the community. Because these are always rural communities. These are always places where, you know, off the beaten path somewhere. You take some exit you usually never take off the highway and drive 10, 12 miles out into the country. Something that's totally out of the line of sight and... Then you see this big sprawling complex or whatever, but if you don't know where to go, you don't even see these things. So it's always off in the country somewhere. But they promise these people, you know, of course, you'll be politically popular. You'll get voted because you're the person that created the jobs and then the jobs and the, the tax base increases and then the people's income. And then there's more school money and then there's more roads and then there's and all of this story they sell to these people. But these communities across the country have even built prisons in a lot of cases and nothing came from it. Contracts fell through. Rhode Island is one that comes to mind. They spent a hundred million dollars. 
Donald Wyatt Detention Facility. And it was another one of these ICE situations. But a Chinese national died there. And the whole thing fell apart. So the city is left holding the bag on $100 million. And all the cities around it were supposed to be getting a little bit of money off because it's all going to generate money. But then when it falls through, then everybody's plans falls through. This is what your elected officials are coming up with, is plans on how to save the budget on building prisons, on jumping in on the immigration. Because, see, it's somewhat unpopular to talk about mass incarceration. If you're just saying you're going to expand these prisons for the crime problem, and, of course, you're talking about black people. Of course, you're talking about drugs, and, of course, you're talking about guns. But that's become kind of unpopular. And people are kind of understanding what's going on. So now it's immigrants. And these are faceless, nameless people. This is just an endless, expendable stream of bodies that nobody, it's not really defined. Because all the, all the Latino people that you and me know are regular citizens here. Right? Everybody that, that you or, or I know, the, the Mexican guy at work or the, the Guatemalan girl that you, you know, met at church or whatever. These people that you know that are from south of the border, these are legitimate people here. These are real, like, citizens, and these are good. They're some of the best people you know. We don't know any of these illegal immigrants here. We don't know these people that are here illegally. We don't know these people that are here without proper papers. We don't know them, so they're faceless. They're nameless. They're, they don't mean anything to us, so they're expendable. So they can take nearly $4 billion out of our budget allocated to putting them in prison. And they can turn around and go to work for a dollar a day for Geo Group or for CCA. And it doesn't, we don't, we don't make that connection to it being a human being. We could, in fact, go ahead and put their entire family, mama, baby, daddy, uncle, sister, cousin, 300 bucks a person, $110,000 a year per person. So that's the cost of a person being faceless to you. And a hundred million dollars when it falls through in Rhode Island. Fifty-five million dollars when it falls through at the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. See this plan, they've tried this all around the country. And it falls apart. And then your city is left holding the bag on, on multiple millions and millions of dollars. And it's not even about crime. Not crime that we register for real. Because you can't tell me people are really worried about illegal immigrants coming here and taking the jobs. When we tell you about there's more people that are that are going to prison on crap charges taking the jobs. It's slavery. And those jobs are not going to come back. When they're paying a dollar an hour. Nobody seems to be too upset about that. So we see that, you know, while the incarceration numbers are continuing to go down, this is what these people are looking to is the immigration situation. But in Wallace right now, they owe about $65 million. The county, not MTC. So this is, you're going to be left holding the bag with this. Not these corporations that are going to generate 
two and three billion dollars a year when they get the contracts. So it's just all things to consider. So um, with all of this, if that money doesn't come in, then, of course, you know, these counties are going to go under. And like we saw in Wallace County, they had to let go of hundreds of people after that riot. They're not popular down there right now. They still got two other jails they're operating. So how do you think those people feel? They've got like four or 500 people they had to lay off. And it's not even likely they're going to hire them again. And they owe $65 million. The county does. So they just lost all those jobs and they just went right in the hole for $65 million. And the only way it was sustainable was to continue to not feed the people, continue to not offer health care, continue to pimp these people out to whatever corporation, McDonald's and Applebee's, like we reported here earlier this week. And to fight class action lawsuits from the ACLU. So from the Marshall Project article, it says the county official most familiar with the bidding for the Mississippi contract is Chancery Clerk Sam Abraham. He couldn't come to speak on this, but Anwan Brown, a district supervisor who spoke on his behalf, said that the rest of the board is yet to learn the details of this plan. They don't even know who they're looking at to manage the facility yet. They don't have a lot of details. They're in the dark, and these are your elected officials, and they're making moves for hundreds of millions of dollars in a poor state. LaFleur County, Mississippi, is I guarantee you was in the lower lower half of, of ratings on poverty, poor education, joblessness. The state itself is one of the lowest. So this is not just some shining county just standing out above and beyond what the rest of the state itself is doing. So they're selling these people dreams, and these are the elected officials down there. They don't even know for sure who's going to get the contract. They don't even know for sure what the terms are going to be. So right now, they don't even know if the Bureau of Prisons or MTC or anybody's upset about the riot and if there's going to affect the, the vote or or the uh, the bid, rather, and they, they they just don't have any details at this point. So we'll keep an eye on it for you. We mess around and have the news before they do. So hopefully you've seen a, a picture painted over this last week or so, since especially since that riot happened in Wallachie County, of what's really going on in these private prisons and what's really happening to bring about these contracts what's happening to these people when they're being enslaved and uh, made to go work for these you know private corporations the abuses that are going on in the family detention centers the you know the children being completely screwed over in this thing underfed and little babies can't crawl around these people are literally in cells they have locked doors and cells and guards for your entire family. And hopefully you've learned and you can you can see the precedent that has been set in America. And when you look at that then 
like I told you, Reeves County Detention Center is on the edge. There's there's a hunger strike going on now. But they've gone completely crazy down there before. They've destroyed parts of that prison down there before. Overcrowded, understaffed, no health care, slave labor. They were listed in the Mother Jones top 10 America's worst prisons before. So that's something to consider when these people are upset again and there's still the conditions haven't changed. Like the detainees have already said, it's several different facilities. The people that get it now, look, it doesn't matter who takes the contract. It's not going to change anything. If the professionals are saying, well, I mean, even though these riots are happening, it doesn't look like the, the feds are making any changes to their requirements and doesn't look like these corporations are saying they're going to do anything to change their policies. And so we're seeing it lifetime on the ground right now at Reeves County. Like I said, an alleged hunger strike is now currently underway. One of the attorneys said he met with 56 inmates on Wednesday morning when he arrived to meet with even more clients. He says he was told by the warden, no more interviews. So he went on Tuesday and met with 56 people and they were complaining that they could not get in touch with their own attorneys and they could not get their information out and they could not move forward in their lawsuits against the, the prisons for the treatment, for the food, for the abuse, for the slave labor, for all these things that we've talked about in every other facility. And once they got that meeting Tuesday, when he came back Wednesday to continue the, the negotiations and meeting with even more clients because there's 2,400 people there. So who knows how many he represents if it's a class action suit he's about to put out. So they're getting their information, trying to put something together. And the, the warden shut it off. These people literally don't have access to legal representation. He says the warden didn't give me a reason why. He just said we're not going to let you see him today, tomorrow, or any time in the future. And it's a, an illegal reentry. It's a it's an immigrant detain uh, de, uh, detention facility. One lady is talking about her husband that's in here. Said he's already done sixteen months, or he's already done a year, and they just gave him another sixteen months. She can't reach out to him. They said the phone numbers, all the phones have been blocked. They're not even taking calls at the prison anymore. And they're punishing the people that have been speaking with their attorneys. These are the people that are, they're saying are being thrown in solitary. They have been threatened with it and now they can't find them. They can't reach them. So this attorney is fighting for the rights of the inmates. Actually in Wallasey County also. And he's fighting with MTC. And he says now that it appears it's on like this, he's going to all five private prisons in Texas. So this is something that's growing in our country. This is not back page news like it would appear when you turn on CNN or Fox, MSNBC. We're going to soon have 10, 12, 15, 20 facilities around this nation all in an uproar, all in a riot stage. 
And then what happens? You are witnessing something right now in the reporting of this news on these facilities from day to day. And look how many we're racking up now. We've got what? Wallace County. We've got Lee Correctional. And there was one more in, in South Carolina. I forget the name at this moment. We've got Reeves County now. We know St. Clair is, is at it. That's five I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, Northwest Detention Facility, that's six. And I'm sure there's several more I just at the moment can't think of. But you should be thinking about this, and this is something you should be spreading the information about so people will be prepared for what's going on. A line has got to be drawn. Something has got to come from this. These people don't have anything else to give but their bodies to this fight. So are we going to see uh, what we saw 40 years ago in Attica? People start dying. They're just going to start going in, killing up a bunch of people. Or how many times can you disappear these people? How many years can you add to these people's? I mean, what what's going to happen here? So this is a, I feel an important discussion and important information to, to get out there. So we'll uh we'll we'll finish off this part of the program with the uh, detention aspect of these things. Uh, finish up with Reeves County after the break. You're listening to. The Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network. New media for the new millennium. And we are back. <clears throat> we were talking about this attorney that has been locked out of Reeves County Detention Facility, William McBride, who's actually brought a lawsuit uh, against the Reeves County Detention Center and Management Training Management and Training Corporation, which is the owner of the facility. And uh, his his uh, thoughts on what's going on. He he went in on a Tuesday actually Tuesday of this week um, and met with 56 of his clients that are, that are in the, in the detention center. And when he went back on Wednesday to meet with more of them, he was completely locked out of the prison and the wardens told him, don't, you don't even need to come back because you're not going to see him today, tomorrow or ever. So that's kind of big. I don't remember that type of thing occurring uh, in, in any other case, but they apparently they told him, don't even worry about coming back. So, um, his words on it, he says that um, one of the most alarming stories that I heard, this is uh, McBride, uh, were in- individuals that came to the United States who were picked up for immigration violation with no criminal history, no criminal record, and they were given anywhere from 16 to 24 months in prison. He says inmates told him that they get only rice and beans for every meal, and there's only four computers to share between nearly 2,300 inmates. So that makes it nearly impossible for them to seek any legal representation. And, of course, they've still got this medical care is a major concern. He said, I met with another client who's in a wheelchair, and he reported that he had an infected toe because he's diabetic. No medical attention was given to him until finally they gave him some Neosporin cream to put on his toe. And as a result of that non-care, he lost all five toes on his foot. 
So, I mean, this is how many. If if I report on another prison, I have to tell you this same thing again. You realize that every time we talk about a different prison plantation, I have to tell you of someone's story. And I think that's kind of unique how this is getting out because they're not talking about it being slavery. But in all these stories, there comes out somebody's individual report that, oh, yeah, and then what they're making us do this work for a dollar a day. or So then you get the slavery story. Then it, it, somebody's story comes out about a, a, a specific medical situation that was overlooked, and then they know, you know, 10 other guys that similar things happen to them. So then the... You know, the human rights violations and the medical treatment uh, aspect of it comes out again. Somebody's going to talk about the abuse, getting beat up or getting threatened. Somebody's going to mention the rape. Prison to prison to prison. State prisons, federal prisons. Federal prisons that are owned and operated by private prison operators. Detention facilities, family detention facilities. We talked about Alabama, local city jails. I think at this point you have to be trying pretty hard to fight against seeing this through lenses that are tinted from the year 1850 or something. I mean, I can't even look at these situations and not see prison plantations because there's no other precedent for this type of human rights violation in this country. There's just nothing that where, what other stories do you have of the history in America where people were treated as raw as they get it in the prisons. And this is from a mother Jones report. Um, May 10, 2013. So this is now nearly two years removed that we're seeing another uprising kickoff at Reeves County. It says serving time is not in prison is not supposed to be pleasant, nor, however, is it supposed to include being raped by fellow prisoners or staff, beaten by guards, driven mad by long-term solitary, or killed off by medical neglect. These are the fates of thousands of prisoners every year, men, uh, men, women, and children housed in lockups that give Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib a run for their money. While there's plenty of blame to go around, and while not all the facilities described in this series have all of the problems we explore, but all of them have some of them, some stand out as particularly bad actors. And this is this is their uh, uh, America's 10 Worst Lockup series, where they're uh, detailing Reeves County here. It said number eight on our list is a corporate managed geo group managed Texas facility where Tylenol apparently passes for significant medical treatment. They've got 3,750 prisoners there, or they did in uh, 2013. And this is a geo group facility that they acquired from the Bureau of Prisons. It says Reeves houses so-called criminal aliens held for various types of nonviolent violations. Some three-quarters of them are held there merely for entering the country without permission. Like thousands of other immigrants detained by immigra- immigration and customs enforcement, they've been placed in the hands of a private prison company under contract with the Bureau of Prisons, the GEO Group, which operates Reeves 
proudly declares itself the largest detention and correctional facility under private management in the world. Overcrowded and understaffed, Reeves has a reputation for horribly inadequate medical care. In 2008, an epileptic 32-year-old detainee named his Jesus Manuel Galindo died of a seizure in his solitary confinement cell. His death on the heels of at least four other deaths at Reeves over the previous two years followed repeated pleas from Galindo, his family, and fellow inmates to provide him with effective medication. The prison medical staff only offered him Tylenol. They gave him Tylenol for epilepsy. Wow. The sight of Galindo's body being carried out from the prison in what appeared to be a plastic garbage bag sparked the first of several riots in which detainees took hostages and set fire to the parts of the Mammoth Detention Complex. A 2010 lawsuit filed in the Galindo case by ACLU of Texas alleged that the prison kept costs down by withholding appropriate medical care. Prisoners told ACLU investigators that they routinely would be given two Tylenol when they complained of serious medical problems, including stomach ulcers, blood in the urine or stool, lumps that appeared to be spreading, and various previously diagnosed chronic and serious conditions. Those who pushed for better treatment ended up in solitary. Prisoners at Reeves County face an impossible situation. Private prison officials cut costs and provide deficient care, and the Bureau of Prisons won't hear grievances about private prisons. So it's a catch-22. So again, they ask the GEO group, and they give back their standard answer. In this case, they blamed it on the separate contractor. They said that they're, they asked them about the allegations. They said that they don't, their medical care is provided by a separate contractor. So they're blaming it on the contractor, which in this case, is Physicians Network Association. And their parent company is Correctional Healthcare Companies. So there's two names for you to do some homework over the weekend. I'm going to, and I'm sure you'll find out all sorts of corruption and all sorts of lawsuits and all sorts of big billion-dollar contracts they've got in the same thing we know with Corizon and Wexford. While the BOP chose not to investigate Galindo's death. Officials at Reeves identified several people at the time behind As for the GEO group, despite a long trail of complaints, lawsuits, prisoner deaths, its annual revenues have grown steadily over the past two decades, reaching $1.7 billion. I think they're already at that much, uh, or near about that much this year. We've done the first, have we done the second quarter yet? I know that first quarter, they were like $450 million they had generated, so they're on track for the same kind of same kind of bread, and if these new contracts continue to fall in place, they'll probably exceed that. And there was even a report on Dan Rather uh, on his. He had a program on a uh, uh, cable here over the last few years. Dan Rather reports, and he even did a, a deep investigative piece on Reeves County Detention Center in Pecos, Texas. So, I mean, this is this has been known. So I bring this to you not to sound as matter-of-factly or, you know, like, well, you should know this or whatever. I mean, I I want to bring you up to speed on what's going on in our country on these things. And, of course, this will be uh, preserved for pros- uh, prosperity in the uh, – posterity, excuse me, in, in the uh, podcast. Um, and we're just all learning and growing and becoming better abolitionists, more well-informed, 
staying on top of what's what's out there, um, looking for trends, looking for patterns, and just trying to stay ahead of this thing because this is a monster that's growing and it's not going to stop. And like I said, when we talk about this stuff too, bear in mind that this is all American refined and and evolved slavery because all of these people are still under contract with other outside companies to provide labor day to day. And we'll talk about that in, in what we're about to move into um, talking about Colorado corrections industries. Um, but they're complaining about this treatment in addition to the slave labor that they have to do. And we know that geo group is moving around the planet, operating in Australia, operating in Israel, operating in the UK operating in South Africa. MTC is consulting with several African nations. MTC actually gets in because they are management and training corporations. So they uh, they go in and consult and offer training for various types of trades and crafts or what have you. They have professionals that they'll bring in and contract and they'll send them around to typically underdeveloped economies or countries that are looking to take advantage of let's say natural resources of someplace in africa is looking to get in on the oil boom or whatever well mtc will jump in and of course they're making connections with you know all sorts of government officials and community leaders and and looking around for other opportunities like uh if you guys want to open a prison you know we do that too it's a great little deal we got going where it's actually slavery but nobody sees it as slavery because you know if you can make these people criminals then everybody makes money and nobody even says anything. So we're exporting everything we report in these detention facilities, um, in these state and federal prisons, even in our local jails. We're exporting this to other nations through Wall Street leading companies. So it's something to think about. And sticking to this story, talking about the prison slavery aspect of everything. It's a story I found in Pacific Standard Magazine that's talking about prison slavery. They don't call it that, but I do. The title of it is From Our Prison to Your Dinner Table. It says that America's strangest workplace, laborers are making toys for kids, picking grapes for wineries, and farming tilapia for Whole Foods. All for a dollar fifty an hour. Again, I'll just say it because maybe somebody didn't hear it, and it's worth that person hearing it and learning it if they never knew it. All of this is allowed by the Thirteenth Amendment, which says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the parties shall have been duly convicted. See, as abolitionists and as part of the new abolitionist movement, we alleged that mass incarceration was only ever devised as a method of replacing a lost piece of the economy. When slavery had to come to an end, that was a huge loss to the economy. It's why Lincoln made it as though he freed the slaves. So he could cripple the economy of the South and they would have to stay in the Union. But we learned that this exception was the way back into enslaving people. And they've never stopped doing that. 
This is also a form of eugenics. Like we talked about Milwaukee, when we'll be getting into that story before the program's over. Talking about the, the men, you know, a certain age group. And, and overall, incarceration men of age group from 20 to 45 is like the biggest group, the most vigorously chased after and, and, and sought after, the most highest prize bringing slaves. And because that age is when people tend to procreate and leave their seed and leave their legacy, and when you've got millions of people perpetually incarcerated that can't do that, and the vast majority of those people are people of color, are people of a certain financial class, it begins to affect numbers not feelings and emotion and theories, but actual numbers begin to become affected on the scale of what would be considered as genocide. There's just no way around it. It's a form of eugenics. So part of this movement as new abolitionists, what we do is we make the connection between that new Jim Crow as it's popularly uh, discussed thanks to Michelle Alexander's excellent book. I have no problem with her book. Her research is immaculate. There's several others. Incarcerations in Black and White, Dr. Christy Griffin. Excellent work. Slavery by another name. These are just some of the, you know, more mainstream and well-known publications out there that are that are dancing around it more or less some get more into it than others and just tell you straight out yes it is still slavery yes it is but these people are caught up on these plantations generating revenue for just these handful of individuals so for me anyway i see that as being like a cancer on our society and I see it as being a preventable and a treatable cancer. I don't see it as being something out of control we can't stop. Like taking on, I don't know, uh, plastics, uh, being mass produced and creating, you know, landfills that will never decompose and the, the big floating island of plastic out in the oceans or something. Those are things that like, I don't even know how to possibly look at how to fix that. Like I wouldn't even, I don't even know. That's something I'm leaving for the kids. Like, I will continue to think about it, and if somebody comes up with something, I'll support it. I don't really even know how to address that. But slavery is something I know how to address. Right off the top, we can repeal the 13th Amendment. We can at least, that shouldn't be that big of a deal, to get our Congress behind that. Or to maybe just start working on a state-to-state level. Get your local state senators and representatives to just... You know what? They, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. It doesn't make sense to say except when, a, yeah, we should take that out and get that exception out of there. That's something that really, if you if you wanted to do it, and you would get up and go do it, we could get that done like instantly. They, that would be something that I can't. Who's gonna start a media campaign going against that? Other than these private prison companies, and they don't want to show their faces. Hell, they may have made enough money to just go away. If they see the people are behind it, maybe they'll just disappear. Because like with this story we're about to get into, one of the issues is they want to keep it on the low. They don't want people to 
really associate what's happening with slavery. So just listen to this story. It says, one of my daughter's favorite stuffed animals is a chocolate-colored, beady-eyed buffalo that was stitched lovingly, I like to think, by the hands of a convicted felon. The buffalo was born in Canyon City, Colorado, on the grounds of a large rural complex of six state prisons. Six state prisons, all in one complex. And this guy throws up his business there so he can take advantage of these slave plantations. A total of 4,000 inmates. Some of those inmates manufacture cute toys. Others tend to real buffalo on feedlots and, and dairies outside in the mountain air. The goal, says Steve Smith, the prison labor program's mustachioed director, is to convert these prisoners through labor, I'm going to use slavery, to make them productive citizens. Because that's the history of our country, isn't it? That's what slavery was for when they was kidnapping Africans. Was to make them productive citizens. Was to make them God-fearing and right upstanding civilized individuals. This dude is a is a page right of right out of a you know 17th century novel or something. I mean, like he did to make a statement like that. Does he not realize? Or does he know it and he's just like he's saying something over your head? He just got one off on you and you just didn't, you know, he figured it's over your head. You don't know what I'm saying. But that's exactly the same mentality. You realize that there was no person who was captured in history with a quote is saying, we need to build this economy. We don't want to pay the cost and we sure as hell don't want to do the damn work. So somebody's going to have to do it. So they don't have the guns we got. They don't have the cannons we got. They don't know how serious we are about this. We're about to take these Africans and make them build this damn nation and nations around all around the Western world. We're going to colonize all of these places and build up our cities and build up our wealth and take these resources and set ourselves up in separate but unified governments all going after the same cause of getting this money and we're going to use these Africans and various indigenous ethnicities, non-white folks, and we're going to break their backs and build this shit up and get our pockets fat, and it ain't nothing they can do about it. Nobody even came close to saying anything like that. But what they did say is what this fool just said. We want to convert these prisoners through labor into productive citizens. We want to conduct, we want to convert these savages, these mud hut savages, as they're still sacking Timbuktu to this day. One of the great civilizations in the, in the ancient world. Hundreds of great civilizations, entire cities destroyed, completely wiped off the map during the colonial age. During the colonization of Africa, African countries. So they could get the propaganda out that these were people living in mud huts and climbing trees and ooh, goo, 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 ga, ga, ga. Looking like some damn monkeys or something. Savages. And this man is hearkening to that same mentality right now. These are savages. 
and we got to convert them. And, and don't you know, I mean, hard labor is what's going to make them be good, productive citizens. He says this is a therapeutic community. We're trying to make them into taxpayers instead of a tax burden. The most familiar prison work programs involve stamping license plates or breaking rocks as a part of a chain gang. But as head of the Colorado Correctional Industries, or CCI, Smith is responsible for thinking bigger and more creatively. None of his workers can... <laughs> this is silly. I'm not even going to read all this. I'm just going to move on. Because, I mean, it's just like he's painting a picture of a nice sunny day, and this guy's a nice businessman, and they go out and they meet, and they drive around this wonderful facility, and they see all this. But at the end of this is slavery. So let me just get on to the slavery. Canyon City Prison Complex has numerous industries on its sprawling grounds, which are so large that from most vantage points, you can't see the prison fences. It has the country's largest water buffalo dairy, and if you've ever eaten buffalo mozzarella in this country, there's a very good chance you've eaten the product of inmate labor. Super, supermarket chains sell tilapia raised in enormous vats on the prison's grounds. Inmates st stitch sweatbands, craft zebra wood fishing rods, collect honey for sale. But because the prison wants to keep its industry small and its captive labor market unnoticed, especially by private competitors, See, if the business owners were smart enough to freaking realize what these fools are doing to parasite their business, they're working with the prisons. They already got a direct line into the industries and into the distribution, into the popular network of how you're even going to be able to sell your products. They're already tied in. And you out here sweating and trying to run a business and turning a blind eye to modern-day slavery and ignoring the abolitionist movement, ignoring the, the, the message thinking we're crazy, and it's your own pockets you're cutting holes in. We've been talking about how this is a result of the detention legislation that's coming to pass. Nobody's really trying to stop it. And see, Obama's coming across as being this guy that it's like with the with the uh, war on drugs aspect, with the cutting the sentencing on crack sentencing from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1, and then turn around on the other side and him and Holder are fighting in court to keep those people in prison that would be released when affected by that judgment. And it's a very similar thing to right now. He's coming across as though he's trying to get all these millions and millions of people out. But he's turned around and he's signing $3.7 billion budget allocations to put the people in. And while they're in, your business can't make a profit. Because they can undercut everything you do. You're not going to contract with McDonald's to make their uniforms. You're not going to contract with Applebee's. You're not going to get contracts with Walmart. You're not going to be able to sell your, your phone, uh, phone bank or whatever, your phone operation, your customer service call center. You can't get contracts for Verizon. You know why you can't get contracts? Because you pay people $10 an hour. You pay people $12 an hour. You get people lined up with health care. You give people an option to buy into the 401k 
You give people sick leave. You pay the workers' compensation. You pay the tax. See, you're paying the overhead. So you can't afford to compete with the people that are selling slave labor. And you never will until you become an abolitionist. Until you want to abolish this system, you can never beat this system. So we always hear about how the small business owners run the economy. This is a nation of small business owners. They really are the ones that run the economy. This economy is not so much about jobs and corporations that give people jobs. This is about business owners, small business owners, people you can touch that start up stuff, that, that kick off things, that, that build something, that make something. The Joe the Plumbers of the world. But slavery is kind of like uh, one of these uh, contagion movies or something, or one of these movies where, you know, the little monkey has the disease and then it makes the leap to humans. And now everybody's doomed. If this model they have in place can somehow leap to other industries that people feel like, oh, well, I would never. Because, see, at one point you would say, I would never buy my fish. Because they got a tilapia market that serves most of the West Coast. I would never buy my cheese. They got this buffalo mozzarella. I'm not familiar with it, but evidently it's very popular. Whole Foods is buying the, the tilapia from them. I would never support where the prisoners and da-da-da-da-da. Because it's an isolated plantation environment that you don't see the people, but they provide the product. You don't see the people, but they provide the service. So if this thing can some kind of way leap to become something where they can, I don't know, bring these people off site maybe or or bring you on site to give you any way they can increase it, they're going to increase it. And once it does, it's going to be as prevalent and as cruise control operating as it is in these industries that it's in now. It's not always going to be something that you don't do is basically what I'm saying. It's not going to continue to just be some job that you aren't currently working. It's not going to always be some product that you don't consume. It's not going to always be something that you don't have to care about because it doesn't affect you because they're here to grow their money. They're here to see those Wall Street rallies and those records. They're not happy. They weren't happy at 7,000. They weren't happy at 10,000. They're not happy at 12,000. They won't be happy at 15 or 20,000. They want to see Wall Street continue to break records. And as they can be pitched, as they can pitch these ideas and somebody can pitch these ideas of how they can expand slavery internationally and domestically, that's what they're going to do. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia, and this is the Black Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. This is Elliot Booker, host of Time for an Awakening Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Speaking in behalf of the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser. Since 2008, the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network, has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more. 
by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio Program on the Black Talk Radio Network. How do you describe desperation to someone who is not desperate? You got a letter to me from U.S. political prisoner Ojo Mutulo, who went on to depict everyone in the management control unit at Trenton State being woken up at 1 o'clock in the morning by guards dressed in riot gear, holding dogs. This country was born out of genocide. That's the political genesis of this slavery system. It's the political genesis of the prison system. This country was born out of genocide. 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 That's the political genesis of the slavery system, the prison system. Slavery system is 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 the prison system. And this country was born out of genocide. She's not lying. This country was born out of genocide. That is the political genesis of the nation. I love that clip, man. It just, you can't say it any better than that. Every time I hear that, I just, it's like I'm entranced. Just, I can see what she's saying so clearly. It's so obvious. And, um, with the information and the, and the knowledge, um, making the connections, it just opens your eyes and you, you begin to see, I mean, I remember when I got into uh, contracting sales, I remember taking that first ride, my first boss in his big super duty truck, you know, we were riding through the city and just telling me, you know, what he's, we're still in the negotiation, you know, what's my contract going to be all that stuff. So we I think we're going to lunch or something and we're riding through downtown and he's just telling me, you know, about changing the way you look at buildings and it, and I didn't get it at that point, but by, you know, a few months of doing it, I really did see it. And I commented to him like that, man, you really have changed like the way I look every time I leave the house. I mean, whether it's a residence or a business or any facility, I, I'm, as I'm driving, I'm looking for where's their gutters at? What kind of water management do they have? Is the water getting away from the building or does it collect near the foundation? What does the roof look like? What are the windows looking like? Uh, do I see any kind of damage, wind, hail? And I'm just, you can't help it. It's, it's like if you do body work on cars, I'm sure you look to see are the lines straight. Once you have been trained in a certain way, whether it be for professional purposes or personal interest, once you've been trained to look and then you can see the things, I'm sure medical professionals do it all the time. Everybody they look at, I'm sure they can see skin or see their eyes or, 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 you know, notice something about them or whatever their hair i don't know whatever and, and they can see oh man this person's probably dealing with something you know and name some diagnosis right off the top when you've been trained in these things i often talk about widening your gaze a lot of times we just focus so narrowly on just the one thing that we care about is very selfish very self-oriented uh 
uh, something that, that's going to self-serving. Um, but when you begin to look at how to serve other people, and that's something that even a Martin Luther King quote about, you don't, you don't need a degree. You don't need a title. You don't need to be any special person or whatever to serve. Everybody can serve. Butchering the quote, I'm sure, but that's the point is everybody can serve. And if you can just take on a mindset of service, if you can listen to this program and imagine to yourself, how can I just be of service? How can this help me learn to serve my community to do something for someone else? Not so self-serving all the time, but do something for someone else. Then your gaze will widen and then you will stop seeing a little small focus of something like my job is this, my job I do, my job I go to every day, I'm a robot. You move from my things, my material um, things I've amassed and gained and put up under myself. I'm Scrooge McDuck sitting on top of a pile of all the stuff I bought. It'll go from chasing men and chasing women. It'll go from I'm obsessed with going to church all the time. I'm just in the church and I'm holy dancing. It'll go from your personal little things that you do. And the world is burning around you. We're in a society that is collapsing upon itself because slavery is the way it was built. Genocide is the way it was built. We have an opportunity with all the information and all the advocates, all the activists, all the organizations, all the networks, all the brotherhood and sisterhoods, all the isms and movements. We have an opportunity to fix that. That's why we're here is to work on fixing that. So before the break, we were talking about this corrections industry, this Slave plantation, the Colorado corrections industry actually works parasiting off of a slave plantation, which is a conglomeration of six state prisons in Cannon City, Colorado. So he's got six state prisons all right there in a complex, and he's got 4,000 inmates at his disposal, and he's setting up business. And he's getting paid. He's making money off of this deal. But the point of it is that even if you use these goods, you buy this stuff, there's no marking on it that's going to tell you it came from slave labor. It says if you profited from the work of a person in chains, you almost certainly don't know it. And by keeping the products unlabeled and unnoticed, prison labor systems all over the country have skirted uproar over whether prison labor is fair and just. You see that? They don't tell you what's going on. I do this of my personal interest, but you might as well say I do this like as a profession, the research. And make professional connections and make friendships and make relationships with people. And they do all there's, you know, PhDs and industry leaders and, and professionals and academics and, you know, whatever people that are in the trenches too. And this is what they study. And it's very rare. Of all the stuff you get, you get a lot of information and data, stats, you know, whatever. You get a lot of personal stories. You get a lot of, of uh, invitations to meetings and conferences and talks. And so you, you get a lot of information. 
But I'm a kind of person I like to distill down things, you know, a lot of times when I'm researching or what have you. I mean, it's great to see all these stats and but I want to know the, the the obvious slavery stuff. I want to know the the real, you know, like when we got that information about McDonald's and Applebee's at Wallace County, like I just did a backflip. Like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Tell me, name the names. And when we get these articles that will name, you know, 60 companies all back to back to back and tell you that they're taking part of it, it's great to get that kind of disclosure. But we're still lacking those those direct connections. And those are some of the most difficult things to research and get information on. Yes, CCA is open and it's a public company. And yes, you get their transcripts. We still luckily still get that information because they could very easily cut that off and not tell you anything about what they're doing. But thankfully, we've got that, so we can use those things. But you just don't see very often corporations disclosing that they're going to go and be in contract with, you know, this prison or that prison or this detention facility or that jail. Or You just don't see that. And it's very difficult to find that. And you can dig and dig and dig, and you just you just don't come up with those names. You don't come up with specific contracts and come up with definitely not financial specifics of what they're paying and all of that. We just don't find that information. Because like this article says, once you begin to label this thing, once you begin to put your stamp on it, once you begin to admit to it, it's impossible to deny that it's wrong. Since Colorado's prison industries were, uh, were established by statute in 1977, at present CCI earns about $63 million a year, and as the prison labor arm of the prison complex, it receives no taxpayer support. Well, that's good. He's not ripping us double-dipping like, you know, a CCA or a, G- or a GEO group, so that's good. Smith, 66, was CCI's director for seven years. He met me in the prison parking lot, anticipated that. I'll just move on from that because this is getting back into the, like, it's just got to be a feel-good story for some reason. I don't understand. It's talking about his his ability to pick up businesses and, and pick up information and learn how to do new businesses or whatever. He says, I look for the, I look for a market and I figure out how to do it. The process involves finding suitable businesses in the private sector or joint venture par- partners. So finding people that are willing to invest in slavery is what he does. He's an old slave plantation type dude himself. He said that these people are being made into productive citizens through hard labor. He's about as, I mean, damn, if there's some other designation, then I wish I could use it. But the only thing comes to mind is, is damn racist white supremacist. A plantation owner. That's the only thing I can get. If I'm wrong, then somebody correct me. But that's all I get. When I'm reading the story, as I'm reading it to you, I just see some fat old white-haired old white dude that has made a fortune off of slave labor. To me, they all look the same. To me, the conversation all sounds the same. It's the same guy cookie cutter template same dude over and over again they just keep making these people that that disguise themselves as doing some kind of public good pockets so fat they can't even sit down and everybody else is doing the work and nobody's getting paid but him and he's perfectly fine sitting in church on Sunday he's perfectly fine saying his prayers every night because calling him you know holding his grandchildren on his knee and He's an honest person. He he has no expectation to step off a curb and get hit by a bus. He's got no 
the imagination of any type of karma coming back in his life or anything he's done, he feels pretty good about what he did. He's an industry builder. He makes joint ventures with partners in the community and convinces them to use prison labor. Prison laborers take home roughly $125 a month at the top of the pay scale. I bet it ain't too many of them. Or about $1.50 an hour. Is that prevailing wage? Is that is that what people make in the in the free market? How much does a guy make uh working at a toy company assembling toy teddy bears? A dollar fifty an hour, do you think? Two dollars an hour? If the if people in the free market were making two dollars an hour, he's still undercutting the free market. He's still putting people out of business. Because that 50 cents is going to add up and you're going to still see a huge difference in the amount of money. And the person that's buying is going to say, well, these are cheaper, so I'm going to get this one. But it ain't $2 an hour. It's probably 7 8 9 10 12 So he's paying people $1.50 an hour. So he's killing, he's killing business. Says he showed them scores of people out here working, wearing their uniforms, and they go walk around all the plantations, and you got people picking blackberries. They got a blackberry farm out there. Wow. He says he pays by the pound instead of by the hour because he doesn't want people eating the blackberries. They got vineyards with Chardonnay grapes. They got Hungarian partridges that they sell to hunting clubs. Prize birds. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I'm not, this is, it's totally insane. It's like some kind of a damn slave plantation fantasy or something this dude is living. He's maintaining and selling wine from a vineyard at a slave plantation. Says a series of greenhouse-like buildings were devoted to aquaculture. We stopped in front of a vat of what looked like crayfish, red-clawed Australian lobsters, he corrected me. (laughs) Wow. Wow. The difference between that and a crawdad, he said, is that the Aussies have 33% more meat by weight versus 19% uh, for their American cousins. We drive past a a corral where prisoners are leading wild horses around a circular enclosure. For $900, his prisoners will break a wild Mustang for you. In another area, prisoners gave obedience lessons to dogs. Drop your mischievous Doberman off at the prison gate. For $600, you can pick it up a month later, ready to heal and shake a paw. Oh yeah, we'll train your dog, Smith said. With a little mischief added, just like we'll train these inmates. Jesus. Says the inmates are desperate for the work and the minuscule payment they get. James E. Scott, 42, was 23 years into a sentence for murder, and, and I was fairly sure he had intended the double meaning when he told me that most people here have earned their time here. He was released in January. He was admitting that he did the crime and deserved, and deserved his captivity, but he also meant that his years of good behavior counted for something and that his job as a caretaker of partridges was a coveted job. I was just a kid when I committed my crime, and I had a bad night, he says, with a tiny bird perched on his shoulder. In most prisons, you just don't get this kind of freedom. 
and it helps us hold on to our humanity. Man, hey, they fried his brain. You sitting up here getting screwed, man. You doing slave labor? You helping this dude run a high end Hungarian partridge farm? Do your time, but if I'm gonna help you raise up thousand dollar birds for wealthy hunters, to I mean, it, it, this is a, some really crazy stuff. If I'm involved with this, I need to get paid for this. So this article is not one that goes deep into telling you about the other side of it and the people going to solitary and the people that refuse and the, you know, strike and work strikes and all of that. This is just telling you about all of this fancy fluff and whatnot. So, I mean, I'll, I'll post the link, but it, it's a, it's like reading a Alice in Wonderland or something. It's a long story and it never veers from the bizarre. It's just bizarre. I, I really don't know what to say. I, I don't, I, I mean, how do you have all this? And these people also make all of these, you know, other products or whatever. Batman t-shirts for Taco Bell promotions, so they work for Taco Bell. Silk screen operations, they pick up random contracts for, for restaurants and whatnot. And again, these are jobs that don't exist in the in the real world because they're, you know, being pirated like this. But just even if they did. These people can't get hired for this work. They couldn't get hired for it before they went to prison. It's just bizarre. So I'll leave you with that. Like I said, I will put the link up and and just leave it at that. I mean, what what are we doing? So many times on this program and on the new abolitionist radio program, I, I promise you, I've I try to figure out what to say and and to stay, you know, in the conversation with you or, you know, this is a monologue or whatever, but just to try to stay keeping the thing going. But sometimes I just can't. I don't even know what to say at that. And this is six prisons with 4,000 people servicing this man's numerous businesses for his personal profit. And he's doing this because he's doing something for the community. This is America, man. I guess it ain't illegal. I, I mean, that's all I can say. I guess it ain't illegal. So our last uh, uh, story is, is the NPR story where they're talking about uh, Milwaukee being so bad for black people. And, um, you know, I just brought this in because it, it just backs up what we've already been discussing on the program. And knowing that we have some listeners that are, you know, specific to that area, uh, maybe some of this will help them, you know, in, in their efforts locally. Um uh, this is NPR, though. It says a new report from UCLA finds that K through 12 schools in Wisconsin suspend black high school students at a higher rate than anywhere else in the country and has the second highest disparity in suspension rates between white and black students overall. Milwaukee, the state's biggest city, suspends black high school students at a rate nearly double the national average. And whenever we're talking about Milwaukee, I gotta remind you of, of, of the big homie up there, old capo puppet parrot racist proxy, whatever else you want to call him, Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, Fox News's favorite America sheriff, our favorite guy that 
somebody from his office or somebody from his page representing him debated us, the new abolitionists and, and allies, for a couple of days. And they couldn't get anywhere with it. And as we went public with that conversation and that debate, then suddenly that page that had been up for several years and never thought before to make sure that people knew that he wasn't associated with it, that page immediately changed their information and their about section to make it explicit and make it known. This is not the sheriff and this page is not associated with the sheriff's office and da 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 da. This is just some fans of the sheriff and people that love the way he does his job and we support him no matter what and all this other stuff. So somebody heard the message. Somebody heard about that 13th. Somebody heard about this hyper-criminalization of black people of his county. Somebody heard the conversation we were having. And they had to make some changes. And, and this is, uh, this is his county. This is the, the number one sheriff in America. Milwaukee County. It's about Milwaukee City. It says suspensions are just the beginning. The state also has the largest achievement gap between black and white students in the country and ranks last in reading comprehension tests among black fourth graders. Milwaukee has the most black students in the state and is the biggest contributor to Wisconsin's achievement gap. Its public school system has been plagued by federal and state funding costs and a 20-year-old school choice program that diverts public tax dollars to private schools through vouchers. With four out of five black children in Wisconsin living in poverty, an inadequate ed education can set up the most vulnerable students for failure, which we know that one suspension doubles the chances of future incarceration. We already know that. We talked about that. We went into depth on the school-to-prison pipeline program uh, last week sometime if you're listening to this program and podcast uh, after the live you know uh, program is posted up if you find this podcast and you hear this now find the school to prison uh school to prison pipeline podcast from about a week before this we go into depth with all these statistics and we go into depth state to state to state and telling you all the things that lead to the feeder the pipeline that feeds the mass incarceration machine an assembly line has a has a line of parts all put together and it just keeps an endless flow for the person that puts it all together or for the person that loads it on the truck. It just keeps flowing. In sales, we call a pipeline like all the people that you're going to sell. And when you've got a big pipeline of people, eventually every day you don't even have to go find anybody else because now they're starting to fall out. They just, a guy you talked to six months ago, boom, he falls. A guy you talked to last year, boom, he falls. This person you just met yesterday, boom, they come back. And it just keeps rolling. Now you got a pipeline. And the schools are the mass incarceration pipeline. So in incarceration over the past decade, many states have transitioned to policies that favor rehabilitation over incarceration. But Wisconsin, on the other hand, has actually invested more in public and private prisons over the last 20 years. The state budget now allows more funding for corrections than it does for higher education. Wisconsin also incarcerates the most black men in the country. In the Milwaukee County, home of Sheriff David Clark, more than half of all black men in their 30s and 40s have already served time. In the 53206 zip code alone, 62% of all men have spent time in an adult correctional facility by age 34. Damn! They want them slaves up there bad. I mean, they are campaigning for slaves. 
you can't I can't even imagine how you can can move around unmolested by law enforcement somehow just checking you out to see you ready you ready how can I can can I do anything for you hey how you doing hey you ready to, you ready to go to plantation just sit there just waiting to just snatch people 62% of all men have spent time in an adult correctional facility by age 34. What you need not to do is move to zip code 53206. That's what I would recommend. If you don't listen to nothing else I say on this program today, take my advice. Stay far away from Milwaukee if you can, and specifically 53206 zip code. 62% of grown men are going to jail there. There's a financial incentive for all of this, people. It started by the 13th Amendment. See, they just told you there's no law that creates an incentive for educating our children. So they just told you that the state pays double for prisons than it does or not double but definitely more than it does for higher education because there's no law there's no financial incentive to encourage them to educate these children but there's a financial incentive created in the third amendment Says Governor Scott Walker allotted just under $2.1 billion to the state's public universities and $2.25 billion to the Department of Corrections. It's a gap that's not likely to close anytime soon. So there you go. There's the actual numbers. So I just wanted to take a minute to kind of bag on, uh, on the sheriff's county and tell you some hardcore numbers. And it does go into talking about, you know, racial segregation also and, and, uh, some of that type of information, but I really wanted to just give you those quick facts. And since we're close to the end of the program, give you those quick numbers on uh, incarceration and education specifically. And just uh, let the sheriff know that, you know, we want to work with you, but I mean, what do you got to work with? It was nothing that would, that would please me more than to be able to report about this great black leader. But right now, I don't see it right now. I see, like I said, the capo, the one that has extra privileges over the rest of us. He ain't going to, he ain't going to jail, but everybody else can at the rate of 62%. That's a remarkable number. It really is. I mean, they, they've got to be working hard to, to draw that many people in. Imagine if they put that much work in on ending homelessness. End in poverty. Imagine if they put that kind of money and that kind of uh, initiative and passion. It would make a huge difference. It would fix a lot of the problems that we face. But, you know, it's not. So we'll finish up here and we'll be ready to wrap up. Our unexplainable black death profile is a young brother, Marley Graham. February uh, 2012, Marley Graham, 18 at the time, was shot to death in the bathroom of his mother's house after New York police gave him a chase. 
plainclothes narcotics officer believed Graham had a gun, but of course he didn't have a gun. At one point in his young life, he had previously been arrested for marijuana possession. And there's speculation that the cops never got over that situation and just wanted to continue to pursue him. And they did pursue him. Chased him in the house in front of his grandmother and in front of his his young sibling. And the cop, of course, testified that he had no choice but to shoot him, Darren Wilson style. He didn't call him a demon. He didn't say that he overpowered him and he felt like a rag doll in his hands. He didn't, he didn't know to go that deep. But he did come out and say, I thought he was going to kill me. So I shot him. Kill you with what? He was running from you and ran into his, into his house, ran upstairs past his family into the bathroom trying to run and hide from you, busted down the door and shot him killed him so rest in peace rest in power young brother another another fallen soldier another fallen soldier sad situation unexplainable black death profile for today that is the end of the program and that is the end of another week here on the abolitionist daily thank you for staying with us and i look forward to speaking with you after this weekend Do your homework, do some research, come back to the program Monday, ready for more. Have a good weekend, stay safe, peace to the abolitionists, and death to them oppressors. I go first just to stop the confusion. Right here, this the only movement that's moving. They say, Kwali, yo, what the hell you doing? Let's stop the violence and start the revolution. Every time I get in the booth, it's ghetto music. Like my man Karis want, it's the blueprint. We got to use it. Jay-Z came through a couple years ago and he tried to do it.